We are, whoa, oh. we are God's plan to bring that message forth, right? That God not only wants to see you saved, set free, but delivered from all kinds of things that have happened to you. And we're going to hit on that this morning. But I have asked a couple people to come up and just share some quick testimonies of how God totally touched their hearts, changed their paradigm, and really radically altered, I believe, the destiny of their life, the course. Amen? So, Teresa, I see that hand. (laughs) Woo! No. It's blue. With green. Hello. Oh, good morning. There you are. So don't you just love it when God surprises you? Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So this weekend um, was phenomenal, like Doug said. Um, Katie and Tom just kind of walked you through a series of steps um, during the time that we were working on getting more freedom in our life. And I did a couple things, and that was awesome. And then God surprised me with this. He took me back to when I was seven. Little girl, I was out on a family outing. Um, It's July 22nd. Just found out that date from somebody in the family recently. Anyway, um, we were at a lake, and all the adults were out picking huckleberries and doing their thing. And my older brother, who was nine, and a family friend who was 16, we were just hanging out. And suddenly the boys decided they were going to go around the lake, which wasn't a very big lake. It was super deep, but it wasn't very big. And they were going to bring this raft back across. So they did that. And I looked at my brother before he left, and I said, I'm going to tell on you. (laughs) Yeah, you're going to be in trouble. So they went. Well, Denny never made it back across the lake. He fell off the raft, and he drowned that day. And I didn't know that I was mad at myself all of these years until Saturday when I walked through that scenario again with Katie. The other three things that I dealt with, I did on my own, but I was sitting right here. And they were wrapping things up, and Katie looked at me, and she's like, (laughs) she knew I needed help. So she came over to me, and we did it together. And when she said... Tell me what you're seeing right now. I saw Jesus. I saw Jesus walking across that little lake towards me. And he took me by the hand, my little seven-year-old hand, and we walked off together. And he healed something deep in me that I didn't even know he had healed. So now, when I look back on that day, when I think of that day, I don't see the chaos out there on the raft and what was happening and then sitting in the car with my drowned brother (laughs) trying to get to a ranger station, which was closed. I don't think of any of that anymore. What I see is my Savior coming across that lake and taking me by the hand and walking off with me. And it was all okay. It was all okay. And I'm not mad at myself anymore. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, there's nothing mystical about that. We are constantly praying and asking, I hope, the Holy Spirit to go down the corridor of our heart and reveal rooms in our heart that we have kept the door shut, knowing or unknowing. We're simply asking God to totally set us free. She had a visitation from Jesus, and he led her into a place and said, it's okay. This isn't your fault. You don't have to be mad at yourself. I've got this. And God released her from that. She opened up her heart and allowed God to come into that area of her heart that that door had been shut for a long time. Whether there were defenders standing at the door protecting it or what, God broke through all that. God wants to set us completely free. Danny Williamson, come on up here, buddy. I got to move away. This guy's like, Teresa's full of fire. (laughs) So... James Ryle came here years ago, and he, he gave us a little thing about hearing the voice of God. And, and one of the things he said is, 
God never speaks the same way twice. And I think that healing can sometimes be that same way. And this has been a remarkable, not only weekend, but week for me. In that... You got this, buddy. In that God showed up, and not so much in an individual situation where he took me to a spot like Teresa, but it was... Because I never did like a one-on-one. It was it was a, a a thing where Tom just kind of did. I'll call it the affliction list, to where he just did this thing where he just started calling out the spirits that afflict us and the things that we've accepted into our lives and given building permits to demons in our lives to do a partition. But it turns into a three-bedroom, two-bath, and you look on the outside two weeks later, and it's the Great Wall of China. And we don't realize so that. We good. still think that it's so a partition. True. And we've allowed a building permit for these demons to come into our lives and do more, far more than what we ever did to protect our souls. And they described our souls and our hearts as being one and that they're interchangeable in the Bible and our souls and our hearts get afflicted and hurt and wounded. And that's where the demonic dwells and affects our lives after that point. And... Tom went through this thing where he just started calling things out, you know, spirit of anger, you don't have no right here, be gone, let Jesus heal that. And he just started rolling through these things, and, and God kind of went, okay, do you, is this what you want? You want to get cleaned up, you know? Do you want the hotel bar soap, or do you want the Costco lava with grit 24-pack, you know? And so I just... <laughs> put my hands up and just started, you know, and I, oh. I just kind of closed my eyes and just, I didn't care who was around me. I just started shouting out, God, I want to get clean. I want to be right. I want to get square with you. And many things that I've had prayer over the 30 years that I've been in this church and have been afflicted by were pulled up. And it was like a blackberry vine that one thing, you know, it's just, you know, this demon and it's connected to that one and it's connected to that one. And the roots were coming out, and, and stuff that I didn't even know that I had. You know, he was like, spirit of tomato sandwich, come out. You know, it's not that, but, you know, just for better words. But, and I don't go, well, that's not really me. And then, whoa, you know, oh, man, I think that was part of my pancreas. You know, and it was just, <laughs> just pulled it out, and it dealt with it. And just, I felt light for better, for any better word. I just felt like a feather, like I could just be float up. And I'm not saying that's the only way to get healed, because I've had prayer and I've had stuff delivered off me before and stuff, but I think this is one of the things. In Matthew 16, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, you heard from the Father, and you've received the keys to heaven. And that tells me that there are certain locks, and there's certain, not every key fits the same lock. And I think this particular weekend was God showed us a key. And it may not be the key for everyone's lock, but it certainly helped the locks that I had in my demonic afflictions. And he has given me a vision and just an... God is bigger than I thought he was. And he is to be revered. For he holds the power of life and death in his word. And... He has put people in my heart. I have a son I haven't talked to in 10 years. I'm, I'm getting a relationship with. I've destroyed relationships in my life because of the demonic influence that was wedged in my soul that I gave permission to build that I thought were partitions in their great walls. And I have got them torn down. We have a demolished... And, and everybody here, I, I think that he's given us a clue into people's lives on how to deal with that. And uh, I got a sister that, you know, I'm reached out to. I've got several friends that I know are afflicted with stuff I'm reaching out to, and God's given me a new commission. This is his commission. This is what he's given all of us, is to set the captives free, and there's those things in our souls that fractured and just need to be repaired. And uh, so for me, it was not just a weekend but like a new lease on life, so. That's good, wow. <clears throat> there are many other testimonies from Saturday over the top. But one of the things that as a pastor and as a shepherd, I want to 
talk about this morning very quickly, and I want to remind you of, some of you may have already known, that when God shows up and he, his presence radically alters our life, that the enemy shows up too, okay? And turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Max so beautifully was in this chapter um, last time he spoke, a week, uh, last, week before last, And I want to hit on something in this that I think we need to get our head and our heart around. And this is some truth that I think is absolutely imperative that, again, we have our heart wrapped around. I'm going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, For we did not receive the spirit of this world system. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation only because I like the way it reads. You can read out in the NLV or whatever, but I, I like the way this reads. For we did not receive the spirit of this world system, but the spirit of God. Max shared about when we're born again, we have this spirit in us that's all of a sudden regenerated and it comes alive. And at that point, it's wondering, what do I do? Because I've got this other thing in here with me that wants to control everything. Well, the spirit needs to rise up and take control of that inner man we call the soul and and whip that soul into shape, which I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But we have received that spirit of God, which has regenerated that spirit within us so that we might come to understand and experience all the grace he has lavished upon us. So when we're born again, the spirit of God comes in us, we now have the ability, we have the ability positionally to understand and to comprehend the things of the Spirit of God, okay? And we articulate these realities with the words imparted to us by the Spirit and not with the words taught by human wisdom. Right away, Paul's showing us there is a wrestling that's going to happen. How many know that wrestling? Yeah, okay, good. We join together Spirit-revealed truths with Spirit-revealed words. Awesome. Someone living on an entirely human, uh, an entirely <clears throat> living on an entirely human level rejects the revelation of God's spirit. In other words, someone who is not born again, someone who is not of the spirit of God, has a whole different revelation. Okay, for they make no sense to him. And then it says he can't understand the revelations of the spirit because they are only discovered by the illumination of the spirit. So as we come to Christ, we grow in him, our spirit is, 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 begins to grow and to take control and clean up some of this mess in our history and our past. It's discovered, things are discovered in our heart and revealed to us, which are illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's that, it's that imagery of the Holy Spirit going down the corridor of our hearts, shining a light on rooms, and you go, uh-oh. But there's something in our old nature that goes, uh-oh, the light's coming. I better run because I'm going to be found out in this area of my life. And the Spirit wants to run that down, shine the light in there, come in and take care of that and clean that room up. Those who live in the Spirit are able to carefully evaluate all things. They, and they are subject to the scrutiny of no one but God. For who has ever intimately known the mind of the Lord Yahweh well enough to become his counselor? We don't counsel God. He tells us what we need to be doing, right? Christ has, and we possess Christ's perceptions. Some translations will say, like in the NIV, and you know you have the mind of Christ, or but we have the mind of Christ, whatever your translation is. Okay, just ponder that for a minute. Yesterday, my wife and I had the opportunity to get away, and we drove all the way down to Eureka, California, Eureka on the coast, not to be confused with Wairika, which is on I-5. We were in Eureka, which is on the coast. And my wife wanted to go down there and look at some of the ornate, beautiful, old Victorian homes and the history. And I'm walking around Old Town with my wife, and it suddenly dawned on me that Eureka, California, just a few miles south, was a place called Lighthouse Ranch in Lolita, California. And it was the very place, the very place that my wife and I began our genesis in terms of our ministry and ministry training. Now, we came to Jesus here in this valley, but our training really began in a ministry that came out of Lighthouse Ranch Gospel Outreach. 
and it was in Lolita, California. And, and in that place, we learned incredible concepts that come from the Word of God that really help us and have helped us over the years navigate waters and incredible storms. One of the first things we learned was God's purpose and vision, that God has a purpose for your life. And, and when you understand, you come to Christ and you understand that God has a purpose for my life, all of a sudden you have this little mini crisis. Okay, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I'm telling you, it's more than just sitting there waiting for the Jesus bus to come. You have that journey to the cross. Okay, I'm saved. Okay, God, but what do you want to do with me in my life? What can I do for you for the rest of my life? And then we have our journey after the cross. Man, it was a powerful moment when we learned it. And God's vision is so simple for all of our lives. It's so simple in the context that God's vision is that we glorify him. In whatever way God wants us to glorify him, whatever ministry he places us in, wherever that circle of influence is, we go and we put our foot in, that's where God wants us to glorify him. You can be a housewife, praise God, and you can glorify God. Beautiful, you can raise your children up in the way they should go. What a beautiful place to be in. You can be a, a, a woman or a man working in the mill, wherever you may be, you can bring glory to God. That's, your, that's God's purpose for your life, and that is his vision for you. Another thing we learned was something called the bold confession, and it was believe, confess, and act. We believe God's word, we confess God's words. I have met a lot of people who will say, I believe. How many in this room believe? But we would confess God's word too. A lot of us confess God's word, sometimes when it's convenient. But the real power come in acting upon the word. And that was so, so ingrained in our hearts and our spirits that not only do we believe it, we confess it, we act on it. That's why my wife and I are in ministry today. It's our story. But we believed it, we confessed it, and God said, okay, what are you going to do about it? And that's why we got involved in ministry and in people's lives. We acted upon it. Amen? And then one of the things we learned also was something called faith pictures. And... and and, and you will find all this stuff woven through the word. Faith pictures comes out of the story of Gideon. When the angel Lord comes to Gideon, he says, Gideon! Gideon's hiding down in this hole, from the great press, actually down in this hole, smacking wheat to get the berries out, but he's hiding from the banditos because they're coming around pilfering everything they got. So he's down in this hole, kind of bang, bang. They coming? I don't see him. Bang, bang. The angel Lord shows up and says, Gideon, you mighty man of valor! And Gideon's like, who? You're not talking to me. Because, tell you what, whoever you are, at that moment, he didn't quite understand who he was talking to. He said, you know, I don't know who you are, but maybe you don't know who I am because I'm the least of the least of the least of the least. My tribe, my people, me, I'm like the lowest life of, uh, form of life on the food chain, buddy. And the angel Lord said, no, you're a mighty man of valor. And when we can begin to see who and how God, whose we are, and how God sees us through the lens of his word, it's a life changer. You are a virtuous woman of God. You are a virtuous woman of God. You're a mighty man and women of valor. That's who the word of God says you are. Well, I don't feel that way. There's a reason you don't feel that way. And we're going to get to that in a moment. You ever felt less than a mighty man of valor? You ever felt less than a virtuous woman of God? I think we all have experienced that. There's a reason for that. And one of the biggest things I think we learned, and I'm hearing so much about it today, like it's this new teaching. There's a lot of new books coming out. I hear a lot of younger pastors sharing on it, like it's this new revelation. But I'm telling you, Watchman Nee wrote about it in 1968. He wrote a book called The Spirit Man, or The Spiritual Man. And Jim Durkin expounded on that too, truth, and it became known as Training Your Soul. How many have heard of the concept? You've heard me speak about training your soul. Soul talk is nothing new. It didn't happen in the South. David talked to his soul. Read the Psalms. He said, soul, stop it. Soul, come on. Get it together. Soul, you've got to rise up. I know this is heavy duty, but you can do this. And he would talk to that part of his being, that part of his flesh that he understood and knew that was <laughs> really not buying into all this stuff. How many know that one? Your life, you feel like you're playing the hokey pokey. Just when you think you got some part going good, the other part flops out. 
Remember that? You put it your left? Anyhow, let's all stand up. We'll do that together. No. But training your soul came from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, which says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, not just part of you. God wants to sanctify, set apart you, set you apart for his holy service completely, every part of you, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is where Watchman Nee and others, and Jim Durkin, they would drill down into training your soul and talk about man being a three-part being, a triune being, you may say. We are spirit. The Word of God is very clear on that. But we have a soul. And in our soul, that's where our thinking, our reasoning, and our will, our choices, our beliefs, our attitudes, our feelings, our emotions, our memories, everything lives within that soul that is contained inside our tent, the body. So, from our earliest days here on earth, Jim taught us, and I believe this with all my heart, that this is how it works. Since from our earliest days on our earth, our soul has been trained in the ways of this world. Think about it. We have suffered cruelty and injustice. Many of us have. We have learned false values. We have built up these defensive walls. We have created this incredible self-will. And sin has become a way of life. And so many people that, that, have, that are, are coming to Christ or, or have a history of just being a sinner for years. And, they, and again, they come to Christ and they still got this stuff they're fighting with. Paul says, he says it this way, he says, for the good that I will to do, this is in Romans 7, 19, he says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do. In other words, the things I want to do, I just can't seem to do them. And then he goes on to say, but the evil, the evil I will not to do, that I practice. He's admitting, here's a man who is well-trained in the word of God, Man, talk about, he could expound on the Torah. He could go into, he, the guy was brilliant. Read his writings. He was no wimp in, his, in, in this mind. He was amazing. But he's saying, why is it I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? What? Oh, I wrestle with this thing called the flesh. So, so in this life that we have from our earliest days, again, the flesh has really ruled. The soul has really ruled. And, and we learn how to complain. We learn how to be cynical. We learn about fear. All of these things are wrapped up in our soulish nature. And all of these, Danny hit on it, all of these things cause unhealthy roots to grow. And now they grow deep and they can really dominate your life. Amen? And whether or not you know it, you are in fact right now at this moment training your soul. You're either doing it by intent or you're doing it by neglect. I was thinking about worship this morning. Here's a good, here's a good moment. And, and where I'm getting here is, this is a tale of two minds. We have a carnal mind, and we have a spiritual mind. And they are at war with each other. You have to understand how this works. This morning in worship, I was thinking about that. You know, you start to worship God, and you're like, thank you, and you're just entering in, all of a sudden you go, huh, I wonder if I, I wonder if the car is, you know, did I... Did I turn off the water? How many know that feeling? You start thinking about worldly things, concerns, I get it, wondering about this or that, but your mind begins to drift that way and not towards spiritual things. How many know that feeling? You know, I'm speaking to the right crowd. You know, David made it quite clear in his writings that we can bring our soul under control of the Spirit of God. You can teach your mind what to believe and what not to believe. You can. You truly can do this. And yes, you can make even your will, that stubborn will that we have, submit to the will of God. But I'm telling you, all of this is accomplished not by the Try Harder Club. It's not. It's accomplished by allowing the Spirit in you that's connected to the Spirit of God to assume its rightful place. Amen? So, your spirit, my spirit, I believe with all my heart, was meant to be filled and to be led by the Holy Spirit and to be nourished and to be empowered by the Word of God. This is the difference between a person who is soul-controlled 
and the person who is spirit-controlled. It's getting quiet in here. So the soul-dominated individual is led about by their untrained soul. Those wild emotions, they rule your life, or your stubborn will is completely in charge. Or maybe, or maybe this complex intellect you have is twisted up with all kinds of strange ideas. But on the other hand, the spirit-controlled person, oh my goodness, has learned to tame and to train the soul. My friends, this is truth. I believe this is absolute truth. But it's something that we need to understand and get our head and our heart around. We've got to grasp this truth. How many of us have had that moment when we're praying for someone or someone's praying for us and in the back of our mind we hear a voice speaking, it's not going to work. It's never worked before. This is the 12,287th time you've been prayed for for that very thing. It's not your day. It's not going to happen. Or worst of all, you're praying for somebody on the street. You know, we get this thing. Let's go lay hands on the sick. Let's be the signs and make people wonder. Let's go after this. Then you go out and you go lay hands on somebody and you're praying for them. And, you know, they've got dipsy doodleitis, whatever's going on. And you're praying for it. And one part of your being's going, yeah. But then all of a sudden that other voice is going, you're a flake. This isn't going to work. How many have heard that voice from time to time? Yeah. Thank you, Max. Here's a brother that's been serving the Lord for years, and he's willing to say, I've heard that voice. Paul heard that voice. Paul was able to say, why do I keep doing the evil I don't want to do? Romans 8, 7. You got to turn there. You got to look at this. Romans 8, verse 7. Can I get a water up here, Sandy, please? Thank you. Romans 8, 7, I believe this is a great explanation of why we have that moment when all of a sudden these thoughts come up, you don't have enough faith, why you haven't been in ministry long enough, why you don't have a a degree in theology of any way, shape, why you're just a has, what you're, and here's what it says, because the carnal mind is an enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. I'm going to read that one more time. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. The Greek word for carnal simply means flesh. So kind of putting this together, the carnal mind or that natural fleshy mind that we have that's been trained by the world is at enmity against God. The word enmity really means hostile. Isn't that crazy? So our carnal mind is hostile. Your, your natural, fleshy, carnal mind that we're born with and we've grown up with and it's been trained by the world is not only incapable of understanding or receiving the things of the Spirit, thank you, it actually is hostile towards God and it is unable to accept or believe what God has to say about you and about what you're doing spiritually. Hostile. Doesn't that seem odd? That our own natural, fleshy, carnal mind can feel hostility towards God. The carnal mind I wrote here is hostile towards a lot of things, especially the things we don't understand or maybe the things we don't want to understand. When the Spirit of God comes along, He starts to turn the heat up on us and kind of lights our pants on fire. We reach that point where we're going, man, this is heavy. I don't know if I want to go any farther. In fact, you know what? I'm just going to sit at this point in my walk and just hover. Ernie Stone preached such a beautiful message one time. Remember that story he preached about just having a encore? That every one of us, you know, when we reach a age of retirement, you still have an encore left in you. I shared with Tom, I really saw this when Tom and Katie were here, that the people he's working with, and I've done so much research and sharing on the phone and emails and stuff with Tom and Katie, they have a lot of people like, their church demographics is very much like us. I said, do you have a lot of young people? He said, no, actually, our demographics are almost similar. I thought, well, that's awesome. And I said, and God just showed me, you need to tell Tom that what he's doing is he's setting up these people for their next encore. 
So exciting. Every one of us has an encore. But here's what happens when we don't understand what God is doing, or honestly, we don't want to do it. I don't want to volunteer anymore. I don't want to help here anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. I'm just tired. I want to sit here until the Jesus bus comes. You know, I was thinking about that hostile towards God or hostile towards things we don't understand. One thing that came to my mind for me, and you can fill in the blanks, for me, it's tax season. Our mind can be hostile towards a lot of things. And when it comes to taxes, I, I get to a, yeah, yeah, I get to a point I'm going, sweetheart, you're so much smarter than me. You've been gifted with such a brain. And she just takes over. Now, I'll go pick them up and deliver them and bring them back and do all that stuff. But what happens, guys, is I reach a point in it where I get incredibly frustrated because in my attempt to understand how it all works, I give up. When God is moving and wanting to do things in your life, don't give up. Keep pressing in. Keep moving forward, even if it doesn't make sense because your carnal mind's going, this is not going to ever make sense, so just quit. But your spirit mind's going, no, 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 no. So there's battle going on. So this is what happens in our carnal mind when God says, hey, I'm going to do something really great. We're going to have a conference this coming weekend, and I'm going to do something super powerful. I'm going to change a lot of hearts and minds and do all this. And our flesh cannot. The word of God's very clear. When we get to that point where we go, it doesn't make sense. God, I'm, I'm, here, I'm here Saturday morning. I'm here Friday night. I'm here Sunday. It doesn't make sense. It's this, I can't understand it. I'm telling you, if you're processing with your carnal mind, it's not going to make sense. You will not get your heart around it. Your carnal mind will never be able to receive what God is doing. You know, the word of God says we walk by faith and not by sight. The carnal mind operates on what it can see on a natural plane. It cannot comprehend the spiritual things of God. It says that in the word. So that's what stands in front of us. Romans 8, 7 again teaches us that the carnal mind is not subject to the laws of God, neither can it be. That's interesting. So what exactly does this scripture tell us about the attributes and the limitations of our natural, fleshy, carnal mind? It tells us it's not subject to the gods of law, the, the subject to God's laws. The word subject means opposing. It means it, it, it means it will not submit. It won't come underneath. It, in other words, the natural fleshy carnal mind is not submitting to God or his word. Never, ever will it ever. So what do we do with that thing that's going, oh, over here in the corner, and this other thing's going, come on, you got this. Flesh, soul, mind, whatever you want to call it, you need to settle down. Our spirit can do that. So to remedy this, unfortunately, on our journey, you know, to remedy this, in my early days, we were taught that in order to overcome this carnal nature and mind that I'm always fighting and wrestling with, I needed to renew my mind. So we were, we were grilled, and I, I love Romans 12, 1 and 2. It's a powerful word, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It, it, it's, it's awesome, and it's very true. But the problem is, I think that many people have defined this method of renewing of your, of your mind maybe incorrectly. And God's really showing and revealing something to me in this. What we're taught, what we were taught, I was taught, my wife was taught, and some of you, I'm sure, was that renewing your mind was the process of filling your mind with so much of the Word of God, so much knowledge that finally, somehow, through this moment, Your mind comes into this incredible, euphoric moment where it comes under the control of the Spirit of God. How'd that work out for you? What's that, Sandra? Yeah, no. And, and Sandra's been walking with the Lord for years. Max and others. How many know that to be true? You keep putting more and more and more and more data in thinking it's just going to press and push this thing out of the way. There was this belief that if... if, if that someday, if you just try long enough, and if you just try hard enough, if you just read this book, this book, this book, that book, this book. Now, I'm not against that. Because I think nourishing our spirit 
being, and, and, and I think it's healthy. The word of God, I, believe me, I believe it's healthy. But at the end of the day, it's not going to accomplish what you think it will if that's all you're doing. You can put all the knowledge you want. You can read all the books you want. You're still, at the end of the day, your carnal mind is going to be at enmity. It's going to be at war. It's going to be hostile towards those things. And you're going to have this constant wrestling moment. Again, Romans 8, 7 tells us it's simply not possible. Odd. I remember the days when we would read the word and meditate on the word repeatedly. We would read the word out loud and all of those spiritual practices, I believe, are incredibly healthy. They're life-giving. Don't ever stop those. Read the word. Meditate on the word. Those are incredible truths and principles that we need to run in. But I'm telling you, at the end of the day, I still have those moments when I go up and I'm laying hands on somebody up here and I can still, way off in the distance here, it's not going to work. You're not, you don't have enough faith. You're not strong enough in the Lord. It's way off in the distance. Hey, yo, whispers. So I came to this conclusion that instead of thinking of processing uh, or the processing of renewing the mind as a process of fixing up our old carnal nature, like we're just going to read a lot, read a lot. We're going to pound a few boards in here, shape a few, put some stucco here, some spackle there, fix the cracks. And this thing's just going to be, whoa, whipped in shape. I came to the point where I realized, what if I begin to think of it as renewing of the method of how I process information? And I, what I mean by that is, when we're operating in the realm of the physical world, we engage our natural carnal mind. When I want to rebuild a carburetor, let's say, my carnal mind's engaged. It's going down this flow chart. It's figuring all this stuff out, laying everything out. Now, there will be those moments in that moment, the Spirit of God will come in and check in. How's it going? It's going great. You may just talk to Spirit for a minute. I've even got to a point where I've had situations where, now with my hook, I have no feeling, obviously. It itches on this. No, just kidding. (laughs) I have a moment I'll come in looking. I'm looking for a tool. And I'm looking for a tool. I'm looking for a tool. And my wife will go, "Uh," I mean, I'll even walk back into the house and she'll say, what's wrong? I say, I've lost a tool. And she'll go, it's right here. And it'll be in my hook because I can't feel it. And it's like, man, I looked for two days. No, just kidding. But But that happens in that moment when we are engaged in natural things. We engage our natural mind, right? But when we're operating in the realm of the spiritual things, we've got to learn to disengage our natural mind and utilize the mind of the spirit that we've been given. This is so simple yet so powerful, if you can get your head and heart around this, that you literally have two minds, a carnal mind and a spiritual mind. It's learning how to differentiate in that moment what's going on and how to tell that carnal mind, you know, right now I'm busy praying for this guy and I don't need you to say anything. So at that time, maybe it's a good time to think nothing and just let your spirit mind take over. I remember working with my dad on many occasions, and, and my father was a fantastic mechanic, and we are working on a situation, putting this distributor in a car, and it was like crazy trying to get this thing to, the rotor and the, everything, the distributor to go in and turn, you know, everything's going on, and, and dad goes, oh, we, for, we forgot to pray. And he invited the Holy Spirit to come and just show us how to get it in there, put this thing in, turn, and clock it just right, and dad reaches down and goes, goes right in. So there are all those moments Now, me, I would have taken my arm off and thrown it 300 yards. I was so frustrated. And I've done that a few times. Maybe not quite 300, but 100 is pretty close. But when you simply stop and just say, you know what, carnal mind, I don't need the input right now. It's like having people around you who are super positive and full of joy and stuff, those are the people you want to surround your life with. But you know, you got that one that's there and they're going, and you want to like, let me stop the car. Hey, will you go pick a flower? <laughs> you take off. <laughs> so again, again, we have to understand 
if we're going to move forward and really grow and not lose ground that God's given us, we have to be able to differentiate what mind to operate out of in that moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. You may ask yourself, do I really have access to a mind that is without doubt and without unbelief? Is this really possible? 1 Corinthians 2.16 in the NIV says, For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have been given, or we have the mind of Christ. We have the ability to reason and to think because Jesus holds it all and he's inside of us, correct? And, and when we're in a spiritual moment, when we need insight from the Spirit of God, we simply, all we need to do is ask. And God delivers. And tell that carnal mind, just, you know what? For this moment, just step aside. We must learn to put, I wrote here, the carnal mind out of the room when we begin to operate in faith. And I just see us moving more and more towards more signs and wonders. Tom said we're right on the cusp of, he just said, what an anointing. We've definitely, we've definitely done well in the prophetic, and I want to see us move more into just laying hands on the sick. Amen? But I'm telling you, when you move into that moment, you're going to operate in faith. You're going to have to learn how to put that carnal mind on the bench for a moment. Go sit down. You be quiet. Because the spirit mind's taken over. Guys, if we're not diligent to do this, what's going to happen? It's this fleshy, soulish mind of ours will attempt to rise up and interfere. And he's going to start speaking. And he's, oh, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And you know what's going to happen is you're going to, you're, it's going to really hinder the results of the fruit of when you pray. So, we cannot pray in faith. Hear me, church. We cannot pray in faith if both minds are engaged, our carnal mind and our spiritual mind. It does not work according to Romans 8, 7 because it's, a, it's, a, it's an enmity with God. It's hostile towards the things of God. That's what the Bible means when it says, do not be double-minded. James 1, turn there really quick. We're almost done here. Here's what, here's what being double-minded will produce in prayer when we're laying hands on the sick in faith. It says, but when you ask, James 1, 6 through 8, when you ask, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. That right away is a tripper-upper for a lot of people. I'll pray. I'm not sure if it's going to work, though. You love someone coming up, you're at a healing service, they're coming up to pray for you. I'm going to pray for you, but, you know, I'm going to be honest. Bob, I just don't believe this is going to work for you, brother. Does that inspire you? No! Because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. It says such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. God's word says that if you lack something, what do you do? You ask, but you ask in faith. And it says that if you do, God will freely give it to you. That's what the word of God tells us. But it says a double-minded man wavers between the faith that is in his spiritual mind and the doubt that is in his carnal mind. Remember, the carnal mind does not have any faith. It only has doubt. So it must be disengaged when we're praying for the sick or when we're believing at a conference or whenever God shows up in his presence that God has healed us and wanting to do something through us. The enemy wants to come back to you and say, yeah, you think you got healed. <laughs> because it can't wrap its head around what happened. That's when you need to say, shut up. Guys, Guys, have you ever prayed, and, and honestly, in the back of your mind, you're praying for somebody, and, or praying for a situation, maybe you're praying for finances in your life, and something's really, really, really broken. And in the back of your mind, you pray, but you're going, okay, God, I wonder how you're going to fix this. When you start trying to figure out how God is going to do something, or how something could possibly happen by faith, you've just engaged your carnal mind. Eh going to be a rough road. You've just become double-minded. And this creates an incredible uh, condition of instability where it becomes impossible to really truly stand 
in the unwavering faith without doubting that God's going to do what you just prayed and asked him to do. Does that make sense? So this scripture in James, I think, clearly demonstrates it's possible to have and it's possible to be double-minded. You can't be double-minded unless you have two minds. Again, you have a carnal mind and you have a spiritual mind. So we have to learn to operate out of the right mind in the right setting. Let's be those people who take our soul out behind the woodshed if we need to and just say, soul, this isn't going to happen anymore. I'm done with this. And let your spirit man rise up and begin to take control and to tell your soul when it's okay to engage and when you need to just step out of the room for a moment because if you don't, I'm going to carry you out. We have to learn to put the carnal mind in its place and to keep it out of the way of our spiritual endeavors. I'm trying to scrunch this down here. We're going to accomplish and do all of this by pushing those thoughts. When we begin to engage with someone, we're praying for people, you're in the marketplace, you're, you're praying for Sally or, or, or Bill or whatever's going on, and you're praying in the back of your mind, you're going, to have the, you're going to have that carnal mind going, everybody can see you. Everybody's watching. Everybody should be watching. It's not going to work. Who do you think you are? You need to stop for a moment before you even engage with praying for that person. Go, okay, carnal mind, go sit down. Go sit down. Spirit mind, let's do this. Spirit mind, spirit of God speaking through you, leading through you. You feel the heartbeat of God flow through you. Feel the power and the synergy of just everything the Holy Spirit and God's doing. And you lay hands on the sick. Now, whether they're healed or not, that's God's department. But God honors that kind of faith. And I've watched time and time people go out and it's like they have this ability to just turn it off, that carnal part of their mind. Just turn it off. And they engage with the spirit mind. I I don't mean for this to sound mystical because to me it's not. It, It can sound mystical, but I'm telling you, the word of God to me is very clear that you have two mind, two minds, spirit mind and a carnal mind. And I'll just finish this out. When we begin to recognize that our carnal, carnal mind is the one that has been sitting on the throne of our life for most all of our life. And it's the one that has led us in so many weird, bizarre directions that have nothing to do with the Spirit. How many know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Then we can begin to understand where the problem lies in our attempt to walk out this Spirit-led life. Amen? So I just want to challenge you guys to... You know, when you get into that moment of your spirit, you're, you're, you're engaged in a moment where you just, oh, God, I want to pray for this person. Father, will you help me? Or a situation or whatever's going on in your life. And, that, and, and the carnal mind's kind of, wah, wah, wah. take 2 Corinthians 10.5. It says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You have the ability to take those incoming thoughts captive and pushing them off the table into a place that they need to be while you engage with what's in front of you. Taking something captive does not imply a negotiation. And this is what happens when we're wrestling with our flesh. It's kind of like, I'll trade you two for six. I'll give you one for three. Hey, you know, you start in this arguing, you know, you know if you lighten up here a little bit, I'll make it easier on you. Oh, No, you simply take those thoughts captive, put them in the box if they need to be. If they're not of God, get them out of there and lean into the spirit mind. There is no sense in going back and forth trying to reason with the carnal mind and get it to agree with God because it never will. That's what you need to understand. There's a side of our carnal nature that will never, never agree with God. But there is part of our nature, our spirit mind, that wants to love God with everything it's got. Amen? Let's stand.
I just want to quickly say, if, if anyone in this room, if you're struggling with that soulish part of your being, that your mind, the nature, I would love for you to come forward. I'd love to pray over you, pray for you, that God would set you free and God would begin to show you how strong you really are in him. Amen? I'm telling you, this is a game changer if you can get your head and heart around it. We can learn all the greatest teachings in the world, <laughs> but if we don't understand this one thing, all this stuff coming in, it's powerful, it's great, but you have to understand, it's not at peace with God. And it's not going to comprehend what God wants to do. But the spirit man, oh, that's connected to God. Will and does and wants to. Amen? So, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this incredible moment, God. Father, I just pray that you would, today, go down the corridor of our hearts. And, Father, you would, again, we've said this many times, but you would shine your light, the light of your spirit. You would illuminate those areas in our lives that we have kept quiet. Perhaps their walls have been built up. <laughs> like Danny said, the Great Wall of China. Well, it's true though, God, we do that. These defenders come in and just protect that area of our life. And it's ridiculous, God, we got to get rid of this. But I pray that you would shine your light on those areas and allow us to respond to the knock. Open the door and allow you to come in. And Father, I pray that you would teach us how to speak to that part of our being, our flesh, and tell it to just get in line. Tell it to do what it needs to do when it needs to do what it needs to do. <laughs> Thank you, God. Father, I just pray for peace. I pray for just incredible clarity over everyone in this room that their minds would begin to function as God intended them, fully in tune with the Spirit. We just thank you, God. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. 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 Now, remember, if you, next week you want to be baptized, uh, we, need, we need to know who and what's going on, so please let us know. And please help pick up chairs if you would. Thank you.